love a, a lot of times can conquer all, but it takes a, a big dose of patience and resilience. And now. <laughs> Coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody sitting off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening, everybody? How are you doing today? Thank you so much for listening. And I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And welcome to episode 126 of the Chris and Christine Show. Do, 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 do. Ah, fantastic. You know what this weekend is, baby? Um, This week has been a week that I've worked a whole lot. But what is this week for you? It's been spring break week. For Vacation you. Vacation Chris is in the house. Breaking free. Ah, you know what? One thing, good thing about not working is not working. Oh, you mean like not working while you're on vacation? <laughs> well, I've been working while I'm on vacation. I meant like you said not working. I meant as opposed to being unemployed. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Not working vacation, Chris, is different from not working and no money, Chris. <laughs> Everybody loves a good vacation, Chris, right? I mean. I do love a good vacation, Chris, although you've been a little bit cranky the first bit of this week. Maybe it was because we were so busy, but I'm glad that you've snapped out of it. It seems like true vacation, Chris, took a little bit longer to activate this time. It is. I'm sorry. You know, I think it's just a whole rush of working. And it was my very first vacation of 2022. I know. First, Has it been? First world problems. I got my first vacation of the year. You know, I wonder what you would be like if you took two full weeks back to back off for vacation because it takes you a couple of days to transition in and then like tomorrow or Monday, you'll start transitioning out of vacation Chris mode. What would it be like to get you for two weeks? Well, I do know this is a side note fact, by the way, is that since I'm on a four day work week. I know. First world I know, problems. I know. Right. <laughs> so because I'm on a four day, four day work week, I have three days off. So funny thing is, is when I take a regular one week vacation, that equals to 10 solid days off. I know. End to end. I know everybody. But. He's rubbing it in. But if you take two weeks combined, you actually lose time when you do that. That's why I never do it that way. How can you lose time if you automatically get time off? No, I bet you like you lose time on your vacation, uh, the amount of days off in a single time, because with a single week, you get the weekend oh, at the beginning, yes, I the see weekend at the end. Got it. But if you do two weeks, you get a weekend at the end, weekend in the middle, weekend at the end. So the best thing to do is work a week, take a week off, work a week, take a week off. There you go. Now you're, <laughs> now you're thinking, how, thinking like a pro. <laughs> That's funny. Well, what are some of your highlights of what you've done during vacation week? Well, I know that you've, first of all, I know that you've been very busy around the house. I do really appreciate the fact that you have been chipping in and supporting on the latter half of the week. The first half of the week could have used a little bit more energy by you. Well, I think the first weekend, like the first day off, I'm like, yes, it's like the very first, you know, you go to school and your very first day off after school, like the very last day of school. Mm -hmm. So the very first day off, no school, like no first no day of summer break. Right. What do you do? Sleep. Exactly. Like pajamas. Like nothing. You lounge and you just relax. Eat junk like, food. Yeah. You're like, I got a whole entire summer to worry about actually doing stuff. <laughs> like this is a first day off. And so then you turn me, around and you look and it's like, oh wait, it's all gone. Well, for me, it was the very first day off was like that very same feeling. It's your very first day off from not having to work. 
So I got the whole vacation ahead of me. I'm looking down the barrel of an entire long vacation. Well, 10 days. Mm-hmm. Nine now. I just wasted one sitting around doing nothing. Mm-hmm. But uh, that, binge eating ice cream. <laughs> yes. Doing all those fun, fantastic stuff. So that was kind of like my first day off was kind of getting prepped into the vacation mode. And although I was on vacation and I did not go anywhere. We didn't go anywhere on this vacation. It was a staycation. Well, I don't think it's even called a staycation. It was more like a homecation, really. Well, I think it would be a staycation because we did go out and do fun things with the kids in the evenings. We went to bowling. Where else did we go? We went out, oh, to the Crab Shack place, the Joe's Crab Shack by the convention center. What else? Uh, We had the kids all week. That's another thing, too. Since it's spring break and since I was off school, school, I was off work for spring break, the children were all here off of school for spring break. Ezekiel was here. Jacob was here. Mason was here. Let's slow it down. I did not plan for that because you were on vacation. I planned for it because the kids were on break and I work remotely and I figured I could be with them. It just so happened that you were off of work also. And I think that's where it got complicated because when you have your time off of work, you like to just like be able to go free and do whatever you want. And I needed your support with managing kiddos. And I think you get a little bit frustrated with me when I'm like, Chris, you can't just like up and leave me with three kids while I'm working full time. Maybe... Maybe I should just like, I don't know, not tell you when they're all going to be here. Sometime in April or March. And I mm-hmm. said, well, when are the kids out of school? And the answer is that the littles are out for two weeks. Can you believe they get two weeks for spring break? Yeah, I think so. I think now you get like, don't they get two or three for they Christmas? Three for Christmas, two three. for spring break. You know, back in my day, it was two day, two weeks for spring br- for uh, Christmas and only one week off for spring break. That was it. Well, and that maybe was the half, days. half a week. Yeah. Actually, you took a wagon to school. It was like a horse drawn carriage. I was carriage. just going to say, that's when they shut down the school so everybody could go out and harvest. <laughs> yeah. We had to wake up super early, milk the cows and all that. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, we were off and the kids were off. So I tried to keep the kids entertained mostly during the week when they were all were here. And you did? I tried my best. You, you know. did? Yeah. Um, I don't recall that. I recall us all going and doing things in the evening. Although I will say, you were a very, very brave soldier. You took all of the kids out on, I think it was on Wednesday night while I had to be up in uh, North County working for my regular job. Where did you take the kids? Well, it was funny. Side story. All three kids are here at the house, you know doing their thing, playing outside, just playing with stuff, getting into different things and opening packages, not putting things away and playing with stuff. And so out in the backyard, we have a barbecue, which I haven't really used that much since we moved over here. And we also have a hibachi grill right next to the barbecue. It works off propane. They're like a portable hibachi grill too. Yeah, it's a Blackstone for any of you listening out there. I don't know the model number, but you know, you get no, the idea. No, it's the brand. It's Blackstone. It's a Blackstone hibachi grill. So Ezekiel was here and he was playing with the hibachi grill outside the patio. He was actually trying to hook a propane tank up to it and get it fired up. I'm like, what are you doing? No, hang on. Oh, I found stuff in the refrigerator. I'm going to cook up for everybody. I said, please, please put it away, please. I don't know if it even works. We haven't used it since we moved over here. I don't have the tools for it or all the appropriate like oils you need to spray on the thing. I don't have that stuff set up. Here's what I'll do, guys. If you put everything back where you found it, I'll take you to Hibachi for dinner tonight. Ooh, bribery. That's exactly what I did. Well, I will say, had you allowed Ezekiel to, like, had you hooked up the propane and everything and given him all of the different ingredients, he would have made you an amazing dinner because he's made he's made on the Hibachi grill, like, fried rice and chicken and stuff like that. 
So, but I get that that was a lot to manage by yourself. If I was here, I would have totally been like, yeah, babe, go ahead and make up your fried rice because he loves and he's so good at making food on the hibachi grill. He loves that. I think he loves the Benihana's and yeah. the uh, hibachi world or whatever. What's the one in Fresno likes to I go call to? it teppanyaki. What's the one he likes to go to up in Fresno? Uh, Tokyo Steakhouse. Okay. It's all very it's same con- same yeah. concept, yep. basically what it is. There's a lot of them everywhere. The funny thing is, is that I had only known of Benihana's. Like, I didn't know... Like other companies did the same thing. I thought, Until we got together. Oh, no, you've been to Shogun, though. Right. Only with you. But I thought you'd been there before with somebody else. Never. No, ne- never. Memories. Yeah, that's right. Memories only with you, baby. So I. They're cheaper than Benihana's, too. Are they really? Yeah. Go ahead. So when I went to Benihana's a couple of times, I thought that was the only place you could do that kind of stuff at was mm-hmm. Benihana's. Had I not known there are other companies, not like Shogun's, there was a place in Hawaii we went to. It wasn't Shogun's or Benihana's. No, I, don't, I, don't I forget what it, what it was called, but, but it was same like concept. The, but it was kind of like the OG kind of the original brand of the teppanyaki places. I can't remember what it was called, but yeah. So that night, I took all three kids all by myself. I let Ezekiel make reservations. Said Zeke, go make reservations. Call right now to Shogun's. Make us reservations. Figure out what the thing was. He said, "You have a choice of five thirty or eight thirty for dinner." I said, "It's the five thirty. Yeah, come on now." Book it. Look so, at him, my little rock star, being such a helper. So he booked it all by himself, and he put it under an alias name. <laughs> what did he use? It was like... Demarcus Cousins. That's the one. I don't yeah. know what that even means. I think it's like a YouTuber or a sports person, but he'll tell us. Zeke, if you're listening, you got to tell us who Demarcus Cousins is. Right. So he put it under that. And then for the funny thing is, I don't know what it is. We were heading down to the restaurant. He's I got to call. I got to call the restaurant and tell him to change my phone number. I said, what? What do you mean? I got to call him really quick. So he calls Shoguns and he says, uh, Demarcus Cousins for 530. I need to put down a different phone number because the phone number I gave you wasn't correct or something. I thought that's kind of weird. Yeah, so he, he probably like forget, remembered his dad's or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. So he calls him up. Okay, we're good to go for 530. So we're running kind of late. We got there like right in the nick of time, like 530 on the dot. We we're like pulling into the parking lot. Mm-hmm. I told uh, Jacob and Mason, I kicked them out of the truck. I said, hey, you guys, run inside. Put yourself on the list. Check us in, and I'll go park the truck around the back of the building with. Did Mason. you send Zeke with them? Zeke and Jacob went into the place. Oh, because you said Mason, Jacob, and Mason. So, so Mace, Zeke and yeah, Zeke Ma- and I'm sorry. Jacob. Yeah, yeah, Mason, Jacob, and Ezekiel went inside to check in early to get our table, make sure we didn't lose it. Because with all these tepianaki uh, hibachi, tepianaki, uh, what do you, you call <laughs> tepanyaki? Yes, with all these hibachi grill places. It's not like a dining room where the waiter comes to you. The waiters do come to you, but you sit around a table and they cook everything right in mm-hmm. front of you on this big like skillet thing. And it's kind of like a kind of show and everybody sits down together, everybody at the table. Not just you, but the other parties too. The table holds like 10 or 12. Yeah, I think it's like 10. So 10 people on one table. So they try to maximize these tables, not just have you know three of us or four of us. Actually, it's eight. I remember it's eight people. Okay, so we did share a table with another group of people. and uh, But they got in. We got in. I parked the car. We got in, sat down, and then the kids wanted to order whatever they wanted to order. I said, go ahead. Order what you want, guys. So first thing they do is they get Shirley Temples for each of them. Mm -hmm. Jacob, they all order. (laughs) It's funny. And then Ezekiel, he decides to order sushi for himself, a California roll. Yeah, he loves sushi. It's not really sushi. It's crab meat in the California roll. It's the most mild um, sushi roll you can get. It's like the basic B of uh, sushi rolls. But if it's what he likes, is it imitation crab or real crab? 
I'm pretty sure it's real crab. Okay. I, but I don't quote me on that. I don't know. So Jacob tried a piece of it and he's <laughs> like, eh, it's okay. Mason tried a piece of it and he ate it and he like spit it out on his plate. He's like, ew, they've got seaweed in this thing. <laughs> that seaweed wrapped at rice and seaweed and stuff. So he just picked at that or whatever. Okay. So while you were there, I was up working in Oceanside School District doing a community engagement uh, process with my main job. And I get this photo from Ezekiel and it says, somebody's turning 12 today. And it's a photo of you with one of the kids paper crown hats that they do at Shogun's for um, birthdays. And because you did go to Shogun, right? Yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was cracking up because the boys are on this kick of whenever we go anywhere, pretending that it's somebody's birthday. And so the night before we'd gone out to a family dinner and it was at Joe's Crab Shack and they told the server that it was Mason's birthday and that his name wasn't Mason, but it was Wontavious. <laughs> so at Joe's Crab Shack, the way that they do it is that they come over and they announce to the whole restaurant that everybody has to sing it. And the kids are, I mean, I was dying laughing. Everybody was dying laughing because they were like, um, happy birthday, dear Wontavious. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mason was cracking up. And I think that this spring break, that's one of the things that I have as the most fond memories are the family moments that we have had over the past week um, when we went to Joe's Crab Shack. And then the next night we took the bo- the boys to play pool and to go bowling because they really love bowling right now. And it's a really great time for us as a family because what's funny is they want you four boys to play and they want me to sit and watch, which is fine with me because I don't want to hurt my shoulder or anything because like with the bowling, it's pretty heavy. And I think especially when I'm doing so many florals and things like that, I don't want to mess up with my muscles. But, you know, being able to go out and do things together is I think it's really good for all of us I because I tend to forget that we're still learning how to gel as a family. If you think about it, we haven't, you and I, we haven't been married for even two years yet. And, you know, Ezekiel and I, we had a different life and different routines and different structures and different house rules. And you and your boys had different routines and structures and house rules. And, you know, bringing together different members of a family from different types of backgrounds can be really challenging if we're not aware of like how to do it well, right? Right, because you don't know what their experiences have been like in the past and how what they're thinking about, what's going through their head as they adopt into a new lifestyle or family. Absolutely. And speaking of adoption, we have a fantastic guest this week who's going to talk to us about her family's journey for international adoption and the books that she's written that can support different families. We're going to be back with her right after this. Hey, thank you so much for being a loyal listener of The Chris and Christine Show. And as that you are a loyal listener, we have a very fun opportunity for you to get involved with the show. Ooh, tell me more. If you like get exclusive content you can't get anywhere else, and to receive free merchandise shipped to you every single month. Ooh, I love that. Then head over to patreon.com slash the Chris and Christine Show. That is patreon.com slash the Chris and Christine Show. And welcome back, everybody. Today we have another fantastic VIP guest on the show. She's a mother, author, and champion for international adoption. 
Welcome to the show, Anna Maria Di Dio. Thank you. So well, great to be here. Thanks for being here, Anna Maria. <laughs> We're so excited to have you on the show today. Where in the world are you joining us from? Uh, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Ooh, Philadelphia. Now, is that where Rocky was uh, filmed at? Yes, you are correct. Uh, you know, I also heard that they have those steps. Steps to like, was it the Capitol building or to the library? They run no, the, uh, the art museum. Art, oh. I was way off. Art museum. <laughs> now, is there like um, a lot of people that go up those stairs and they like try to do, I think the rock yes. was like. Yes, to imitate the, uh, the famous training run in the first movie and then on a daily basis. So the, the statue is at the bottom of the stairs. And then on a daily basis, there's at least a dozen people lined up for their photos and people run up and down those stairs, which is amazing considering the movie was. What, like 30 years ago? I, I don't even know. That's so crazy that people still to this day. I bet they think uh, Rocky was the mayor, I, I would think. <laughs> <laughs> Is it younger people or older people or like no? All, all ages. All ages. It's, it's just fascinating. And, well, during uh, COVID, when I went on long walks, there was one time I went by and no one was around. It was very weird. But as I said, on a daily basis, it's, it's hugely crowded, popular, lots of photos, very fun. You know what's so funny is our 17-year-old, he talks about Rocky a lot and he'll like try and reenact things. And I'm like, you're 17. How do you even know what Rocky is? But I think it's like one of those movies that it just spans all age groups and True. all tests of time. Yeah. It's like, it'll be, you know, 200 years from now when people will be like, let me just watch that Rocky movie. You know, it's funny. Also, he does not like the song. I tried playing the Rocky song for him <laughs> and, it, you know, like I have the tiger and he's just like, nah, I'd rather listen to some rap stuff. That's all right. What? <laughs> Whatever. That's yeah. okay. Now what else is Philadelphia famous for? There's like a Their Liberty cheese, Bell, I right? Think, right? Oh, Philly cheese. <laughs> yeah. Cheese, cheese steaks. Yeah. Not cheese, Chris. <laughs> Not cheese. Cheese. That's Wisconsin. Cheese steak sandwiches. What's the Philadelphia cheese I'm thinking of then? The cream cheese. <laughs> oh, Philadelphia, oh, Philadelphia cream, cream cheese. cheese. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are it's correct. Not really a cheese, though, Chris. What do you mean it's not a cheese? It's right in the box. Cheese. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What am I going to do with you? But you're, hey, how do you take your Philadelphia cheesesteak? How do you do it? Uh, well, with onions, of course. Okay. Mm. I heard that uh, anywhere else does not exist in Philadelphia land is that the Philadelphia cheesesteak exists only in Philadelphia. Oh, you mean like if we have it out here, it's not authentic? Of course not. <laughs> We're very snobby about our cheesesteaks. Yep. Is there the best place that you would recommend for us to go? Or is it like an area of town when we visit Philadelphia? No. In South Philadelphia, there are two rival places, uh, Geno's and Pat's. And every once in a while, you'll hear about some fight breaking out. No way, a fight? <laughs> Between the no, restaurant owners or? The, or the, no, the patrons. There's just, uh, it's just, a, it's, it's a fun neighborhood uh, get together. And you, it used to be you could get them like 24 seven. I don't know what the, what the hours are now, but it's ritual, uh, college ritual to go down at 2 a.m. and get a cheesesteak. Wow. They're open that late? Yes. That's, are they 24 hours? That's what she was just saying. She doesn't well, know Yeah, it used right to now. be. I, I'm not sure now if those things have changed, but they're. That's where the best cheesesteaks are in South Philadelphia. I love a good cheesesteak, let me tell you. <laughs> well, I think that you can 
probably say, well, Anna Maria might say, you actually don't know if you like it yet because you haven't had a real one since you've not traveled to uh, Philadelphia. By, well, I, uh, close. Let me tell you, Anna Maria, there was a store in uh, San Diego here, actually North County area. It was called Philly Franks. And I don't know if they're in business anymore, but they were legit like Philadelphia cheesesteak creators. Mm. They were from Philly. They brought all their bread from Philly, all their recipes from Philly. In fact, they actually had like this partition behind the counter so you could not see the kitchen at all they won't let you back there to see how they make the the sandwiches and they were pretty good i thought i went with there all the time they're really good because it's one of those things like well how do you make your philly cheesesteak if i told you i have to kill you (laughs) kind of thing (laughs) now i i've looked at philadelphia's like geography and things like that. And it seems like from looking at the history of the town, well, first of all, you have a lot of history there, but a lot of movies have been made in the city. Wasn't national treasure partly in Philadelphia? I don't know. I think it was everywhere. What was like the, the, I think so. It's been a while since I've seen it, but are there a lot of fun things to do in Philadelphia? Like, is this something that Chris and I should bring the kids to come and visit? I would definitely recommend it. It's a fun, very walkable city. It's um, it's you know not too big, not too small. Lots of st- stuff going on, and uh, along the water or in the parks, or it's it's really fantastic. I've really loved living here. That's, That's amazing. You know, my favorite movie, f- favorite football movie, I should say, is Invincible. Have you seen it? Of course, yes. Of course. It's like a staple. I bet you guys have to have I show it in school, I think, over there, really. <laughs> Is it based in Philadelphia? Yeah, the Eagles. Oh, I don't know. The Eagles, yeah. The true story. <laughs> oh, oh, Invincible. I was thinking of the replacements. <laughs> oh, not, not even true. Not even close. Way off. <laughs> now, are you Anna Maria from Philadelphia originally or yes. from Pennsylvania yes. area? Okay. Uh, right. Born and raised in Philadelphia, and then our family lived a short time in the Chicago area, but then we moved back. And one of the things that I would love to know about is that do the Amish live in Philadelphia? I hear that there's like an area in Pennsylvania around where they live. That's more Lancaster County. It's about a, a two-hour trip from Philadelphia, and um, the the Amish are, are around it's beautiful country. Absolutely beautiful. And it, being in big cities, do you see, and I don't want to stereotype, I'm just always genuinely curious about this. I know that the Amish don't use, for the most part, like gas-powered vehicles. Do you see very many buggies coming into the city very often? Not, No, that wouldn't be possible in, in, in Philadelphia. But if you're traveling out to the Lancaster area and you're you know driving along, you're, you're, you're going to see... Um, Amish and and the buggies and it's great. That's so intriguing. One of the things Chris and I talk about is I love to travel and I love to travel internationally. And he he continues to tell me you don't even have to travel internationally because why? Uh, if you go to Las Vegas, they have the Eiffel Tower. They have the pair. They have the uh, what else they have? There? You just say that there's lots of places to visit domestically. <laughs> oh, that, that too. are like that is true. Yeah, visiting a completely different place. I mean, there is a lot of cool things here in America. Whether you go east east coast, like where you're at. Or if you go out to Hawaii, you got the jungles and all the wildlife out there, <laughs> and you can too see every, almost every single every single climate in the world exists in the United States and culture. Like that's one of the things is that I've wanted to visit Pennsylvania for a lot of different reasons. I've heard that Philadelphia is really cool, that Pittsburgh has a really unique culture, and then Amish country is something that I want to go to. So maybe Chris, you'll take me to Pennsylvania. Maybe we can have dinner sometime, Anna Maria. That would be fantastic. As long as it's Philly's cheesesteak. <laughs> <laughs> now, 
thank you so much again for being on the show today. And I know that you're a champion for international adoption. Can you tell us before we jump into that a little bit about your nuclear family? Yes. Well, we have two daughters. Uh, the, the oldest is uh, 27 and the youngest 26 and um, soon to be 27 and 28. But um, the oldest child is our, uh, our our biological child and the younger child is uh, the, our younger daughter is the one adopted from Mexico. Oh, that's from amazing. Mexico. What part of Mexico is she from? Uh, she's... Cornavaca is where we visited the orphanage and uh, she was placed in the orphanage as a baby. So she lived her life mostly in Cornavaca. How old was she when you picked her up? Uh, We met her when she was six and then she was seven by the time we adopted her. Wow. So a whole year process? Yes. Mm -hmm. Is Now, is that a short process, one year from first meeting her to bringing her home or was there more involved in the adoption process? Did it take long well, before before, yeah, before that there was a year of, of uh, paperwork and uh, behind the scenes. So, so in total for the adoption, it was about two, two and a half years, but we had been in the adoption world at least three years uh, or more up to that point as we um, attempted a domestic adoption and that, that did not work out. So uh, the agency that we were affiliated with actually that was in New Mexico and the agency um, closed, closed its doors, but we had already uh, made the full application process and we're in the, in the process of waiting. We had, uh, we're, we were just about, we renewed our paperwork and then they went out of, um, they went out of business or they, they stopped, they closed and it was very frustrating. So did you uh, get your money back or how'd that work? Uh, well, the application, the processing fees and all those things had already been spent, but since we hadn't begun any process with a specific child, it was, it was just kind of, well, it felt like a huge time wasted. So right, yeah. for that, for that reason, we started to look into international adoption solutions and we, we felt that was the way to go for our family. Now, international adoption, is the process essentially the same or is it like easier or harder, you think, for American adoption? Well, it, it really depends on which country you're talking about. But over the years, I think the process has become, um, I don't know if I'll use the word harder or more difficult, just because the um, there's been, you know, some countries have, have um, oh, there's been children portrayed as orphans when they weren't really orphans. There's been um, just a lot of fraudulent activity around adoptions. But so they're, 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 they're very careful about... Um, making sure that you know the right people are matched when when the adoption finally happens. So, yeah, over the years the paperwork uh, has definitely increased from when we did it almost twenty years ago. So, wow, twenty years ago. It seems like adoption is something that's consistently talked about on the news and social media, and we very rarely hear the success stories, but. Um, we hear a lot of the like the nightmares of domestic and international adoption. And so I would love to pick your brain a little bit to help demystify a little bit of the adoption process and what that was like with bringing your daughter home. Um, I've heard before that there can be real challenges when you bring a child in from a different culture and are trying to integrate them into the fabric fabric of your family. So, what was that process like for you? Oh wow, it was 
just something that I can say first and foremost that we were uh, somewhat unprepared for. You you think that the, you're 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 doing the best. We we had we already had a little girl, and we we thought that the girls would just mesh perfectly into this into our wonderful, beautiful, happy family. But it's very it's traumatic. I mean, all adoptions begin with separation and loss, and I don't think that. Uh, that I, I truly understood that as a mother and really needed to give my, my daughter more time and space to, to mourn her previous life. But, you know, you know, with time that, that all happened and I'm saying time meaning years. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's the reason I started, I started writing. I started journaling our experience when we were in Mexico and then thought, you know, I'm really going to capture this, this whole process and uh, that that began with my uh, with my memoir. So I, I wrote a, a book, L- Love at the Border, kind of um, not not only talking about our process, but just talking about all the you know the, the funny, happy, surprising, frustrating, sad things that happened a- along the way. And it was just a tremendous learning experience. Um, and, and then now reflecting back on all that, I thought, well what what message or what, what kinds of things do I want to say now? And that is that, you know, these, these children need to be given the opportunity, uh, as you said, to verbalize their feelings about just how hard it is to acclimate to a new family. It definitely is. And do you think, um, would it be easier on the child had they been at a much younger age uh, to go through, to kind of adapt better to the new lifestyle do you, do you give for them? I, I think it happens a little easier if, if the child is younger because the memories, um, you, you know, are are not quite as formed. But the, I think, you know, the theories and experts uh, in, uh, you know, child psychology and there, there's a, a thing called the primal wound. And that's really, you, you know, what, what happens when a child is separated from uh, his or her biological uh, parent and just how that manifests itself later in in their lives is is problematic and, and needs to be addressed it can't be it can't be ignored so that was the big lesson for me I kept thinking you know what did I do wrong or what happened but it was just a matter of giving her space that's a really good point because thinking about it from the child's perspective is sometimes people assume, well, the child should be happy that they quote unquote have a family. And the reality is that every child did have a family or at least members of what they considered a family. And being adopted means they're having to say goodbye to that hope of being part of what they knew as their family and being integrated into a new family. And like you said, they're there can be trauma and grief and loss that go along with that. And if we're not realistic about that entire process, you know, some people can go into, and again, I'm making an I'm implying here, but some people may go into the adoption process thinking like it's all just going to be happy and sunshine and roses. Um, like when you bring your own, like you birth your own child and everybody's celebrating that birth, there's different preparation that I would think has to go into play. Mm-hmm. You're, you're so, you're so right because my daughter, I mean, at six years old, I could see that she was just the, you know, a spunky, precocious, really a funny kid. 
And one of the things she said when she when she landed in suburban Philadelphia was, you know, I don't want to go to school here and I don't want to learn English. And I so, you know, it was such a huge adjustment to lose all of that. And again, I, I don't think I was fully processing um, all of that. And, and that's the reason I, I started writing about it, just to call attention to it and and um, figure out where to go. Anna Maria, what would you think would be your idea for good advice for new parents who decide to go into this journey to adopt foreign children in that same age bracket that you did? What would be the first thing you would tell them if somebody said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this? Well, I, I guess in a nutshell, really embrace uh, that child's heritage as, as much as you can. And we tried to support uh, our, our daughter many times over, well, and I'll give you an example, to learn Spanish. You know, it was such, uh, it was, it was sad for me to watch her lose her native tongue. And as she, you know, as the years passed, I could see it was important for her to get it back, but she didn't know how. I mean, it was really, and, and, and we tried tutoring and, and then as, as school kind of in middle school and high school kind of kicked in with regular classes that came back and I, I'm telling you, it just was, it made a world of difference. She was just, uh, it was like another little light had been, um, uh, been shining and it was, it was just amazing. And I think that was the, really the beginning of her, her journey to, to, uh, find herself again. It's really, I mean, obviously right, it took yeah. many years. So that was part of it. I could see how that language loss could kind of trigger some, more grief and challenges for children. And did you find that it was important for you and your spouse and your oldest daughter to try and learn Spanish also? We tried a little bit of that, but, you know, daily life takes over and uh, it, it just wasn't possible uh, and it, but again, as the girls got older and the, uh, the the school curriculum kind of kicked in, and they had Spanish class, then it's it, it started anew. It was interestingly enough at at one point, my older daughter uh, started a um, an internship. Well, this is too long of a story, probably, but she, <laughs> we were in Mexico and my older daughter spoke better Spanish than, you know, my younger daughter. And it was really kind of a, like a kick in the butt, so to speak for her to, you know, to, to get her Spanish back and, and, and claim her heritage once again. Right. And so as she's been, well, not to just focus on your daughter, but as you've been navigating this, building your family post-adoption for 20 plus years, other than valuing your youngest daughter's culture and heritage, what are some of the other structures or strategies that you put in place to help make that transition into being a complete family a little bit easier? Well, one thing that we did just, you know, with my reading and I, 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 I'm not the world's expert, but just understanding that a birthday can be hard for an adopted child. Mm. And so we came up with family day, which was a day that we, the day that our, our daughter joined us. Mm-hmm. So that was a special day and it was kind of just for her. And, um, that's really part of the, uh, one of the anchors of my, my next children's book is to talk about how 
uh, how difficult it is for an adopted child to think about her biological mother, um, what what was lost, what mm-hmm. what was um, what does she look like? How do, how do I who do who do I look like? And as an adopted a child would would think and and but you know to celebrate at least the things that we can celebrate with um, with the family that that we have. So that's what so we 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 do that on an annual basis or we try to anyway. Go do a we've been to a baseball game or we go out to dinner or we do something special. Do you have any history of her uh, biological parents? No, unfortunately, I, I wasn't able to get any information. I, I told her she could investigate someday. I'm not sure if she'll. She said right now she doesn't want to. Right. I heard it's hard, too. I knew some people that have been adopted who sought out their biological mother and they've met them, but that it's not quite the same. There's something off about it, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the experience is different because, you know, depending on the child and where they're at, um, you know, sometimes children can build it up to be, you know, it's going to be a happy reunification and there's trauma on, on all fronts, you know, for the parent that had to make the decision to release their child to be adopted or if it's domestic for foster care or whatever that situation may be. Um, and then there's dynamics for the adoptive parents on what does this mean for us in our relationship and for the child. It just, it seems like it's so complex. And so when parents are navigating all of these feelings with young children, how do you, how, what kinds of resources do you have or have you created to support them? Well, as we were forming our family, um, we, quickly acknowledged the expertise of professionals, professional therapists, counselors. And along the way, we sought the advice of, of many. So we always had that support uh, and had provided uh, professionals or specialists for my daughter to talk to because she couldn't possibly be expected to share all those feelings with me. I mean, how she, you know, she wouldn't want to. So, right. you know, you, you've, you've got to set that structure and and um, provide the opportunity for her to talk it out with someone else. That's that's wonderful. And then I've heard that you are creating a book. Is that going to be something that would be a great resource for parents with younger children? Yes, that's the the, the purpose of the children's books is to focus on the difficulties in acclimating to a new family, whether that be language, food, or culture or a sibling. And, you know, uh, it, and again, the children's books are short, so it's a short amount of time to convey some of these big messages. But I, I find that um, they're, they're effective ways to just start the conversation. Right. It's always hard sometimes for as a parent to really know what direction to even start when you do talk to your children about things like this. And to put these subjects in a, in a children's book, I think is an effective way to just begin that process. Yes. Definitely. Now, one of the questions that I have, and it's slightly different, but as I'm listening to the challenges of navigating, I would, I would almost call it blending a family, but bringing a family together through adoption, it does make me think of some of the similar dynamics to when you're blending a family together, when parents are marrying after 
having gone through a divorce. While the situation is different, very different contexts, I'm not saying they're exactly the same thing, but it seems like some of those traumas and some of those dynamics can be similar. Do you see that there's any parallels between navigating a child through adoption and blending families together? Well, I think you're you're right on with with the themes, the broad themes, because you know every family has its its own routine, its own kind of culture, so to speak. Right. Uh, foods, um, holidays, sometimes religions. There's so many issues that need to be pulled apart a little bit, like peeled and 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 kind of put back together. So I do see parallels to adoption. There are obviously some differences, but you're exactly right. It's it's just this this concept of blending families and the the um, expectation that everything is now just going, as you said, going to be wonderful. And now we're all a family. But these these issues, I think, really need to be pulled apart, examined, and talked about as a, as a family. I would agree. And it's it's a really a delicate subject because there is trauma and pain wrapped up. Um, as I was mentioning just before we got started recording, Chris and I are, I would say, continuing to blend our family. Sometimes people like to continuing say- Continuing to blend. Yeah. Them. Because, I mean, some people will think like now that you and I are married, automatically we're officially blended. But I think it's like this continuous process where- issues arise. We have to figure out how to communicate through them. And sometimes it's a challenge of the way that, you know, let's just say, well, we're not going to single out any one specific child, but, you know, they grew up in one way and now things change with the structure because the blending happened when they were a little bit older. We'd even talked about what would have happened if the kids were all coming together when they were, you know, teeny tiny. And I think that as you're mentioning, Anna Maria, like, the complexities and the nuances of what happens in adoption when a child is younger versus mm-hmm. older, there's similar themes is what I'm saying, Chris. Yeah, okay, yeah. So in your new book, is it specifically focused just on adoption or do you think that it could be beneficial for families navigating other types of transition? I personally think it could be benefiting families of, with other types of transitions, although the, the focus of the story is an adopted child. Mm-hmm. And you had also mentioned that you had written another book. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? Well, my memoir called Love at the Border was meant to kind of summarize the entire adoption journey and kind of the the... the uh, as I said, the funny, the sad, the, you know, heartbreaking, heartwarming aspects of bringing a, a, a child from Mexico in, into your family. And, and just the relationship between the two girls. As I said, we did this so uh, our older daughter would have a sibling. And they turned out, as many families are, to have just completely different personalities. So <laughs> I, I say this I say this with a little bit of sadness. I mean, they're really not close as siblings as yet. I think I'm still optimistic. Maybe we can make that happen at some point. But they're so different. And I, I was so anxious for them to be the same. And that just you know, wasn't, wasn't realistic. So, you know, I've learned so much through this process and that was, so anyway, I I brought all that together and, and, and put it in my uh, memoir kind of start to finish. And it was, um, just an unbelievable, unbelievable journey. I still can't, I still look back on it and, and 
a laugh or cry, one or the other. <laughs> Do you find that the process of writing the book was a little bit uh, cathartic and healing for you? Oh, of course, yes. It's books aren't aren't supposed to be you know therapy for the authors, but <laughs> it turns out it it turns out that it was, and um, I, I really enjoyed writing it. Uh, probably not as much as my daughters hated reading it. No, actually they have not read it. I just want to make that clear. And that, and I've just assured them that's, I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe, maybe someday they will, but yeah, they, they, they are to this day, super embarrassed that I've written that book. Anna Marie, we uh, learned a lot about your experience and your process with the adoption. How was it for your husband? And what's his experience going through all of this? Um, we we sort of had the the divide and conquer um, philosophy at home, and we really worked unbelievably well together as a team to kind of pick up at school, do homework, um, you know, intervene in the the battle of the uh, the wardrobes. Um, and you can imagine when they when they got older and they had they had phones that you know they would take each other's clothes and post on Facebook and then. Oh, it's just, you know, it was always something, mm-hmm. but we, we, um, I think as a team, we, we survived. <laughs> but uh, how was he when you went through the whole process, the years and years of paperwork and getting the, uh, going down to Mexico and, you know, like all that experience and bringing, bring your daughter home for the first time. Uh, everybody kind of experiences it in their own unique way. He's a, he's a very, um, I won't say chill, but just very, it was a very calming presence for me and uh, a very good uh, traveler. And he's a very good organizer. And uh, so he was just the perfect traveling companion and sounding board. And, uh, you know, just, I, I, I couldn't have done it without him. It was He's been amazing. That's wonderful. That's good to hear. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I've heard horror stories of how the stress of the adoption process can really put a strain on a marriage. Mm -hmm. So what would your recommendations be for couples that are considering starting down this journey of adoption uh, first, I know you mentioned having like realistic expectations and resilience as it comes into the process, but how did you stay united as a couple through the ups and downs of those first couple of years? Well, just to be realistic with what was happening and, and not happening. And as our daughter clearly needed someone to talk to, you know, we just, you know, admitted that we didn't have all the answers. And you really do tend to rely then on well, not only professionals, but but friends, and uh, we did what we could to get her. Um, oh yeah, I don't know. Introduced to as many families in the neighborhood. We lived in a very wonderful uh, small town, and uh, the school was very small. It's one of the smallest uh, districts in Pennsylvania, and uh, the 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 community was very supportive. So all that together just made it very workable. That's great. Yeah, that's great advice. And, you know, thinking of how much your books can be of help to people that are listening, where can our listeners find your memoir and this children's book that you now have you completed writing it and it's available or is it going to be released soon? 
Well, the memoir has been released. The memoir was released in 2019, and it's called Love at the Border, an Adoption Adventure. And the children's book was just released uh, a week or so ago, two weeks Woo! ago. Well, and congratulations on releasing it. Thank you. Yeah, it's called Many People to Love. And it's available. They're both available on Amazon. Well, congratulations. And is it just in a digital version or can individuals order a printed copy also? Yes, they're in paperback and ebook formats. Wonderful. And the memoir is in uh, also on Audible. And there's actually just a wonderful uh, woman who narrates it, who does the children's voices and the Spanish, and it's it's quite entertaining. You mean you didn't have Rocky narrate it for you? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, why don't you have yourself re- re- uh, narrate your own book? You have a great voice. You would have been great on Audible. Thank you. Well, she she her pronunciation and some of the Spanish, she was she was just tremendous. So I I've really enjoyed listening to her. How long does it take for someone to do the audible version of a book? Uh, what do you What do you like, mean? Right, the, like how many hours did it take to record yeah, it for her? Yeah. Oh. oh, you know what? I'm not. I think it was between six and seven. But you, you. But in terms of the process, you you actually have to. I don't know if you're talking about that, but you actually have to go back and listen to it and and maybe correct pronunciation or sometimes she coughs or sometimes she reads something twice or so it does take a while to actually get a finished product. But the, the the whole book I think is about six or seven hours. Right. I was kind of wondering, like if you put an order and say, I have this book, I need you to narrate it for me. Get back to me in a week or two weeks or whatever. (laughs) Not realistic. Whatever it is. I just wonder how long it took to do that. And if there's a lot of different sound effects and takes and retakes, just like doing some podcasters will do this whole like narration on their show. Oh, I see why you're asking because you're wanting to, (laughs) you know, apply for to be an audible voice. I would screw that up so bad, (laughs) let me tell you. (laughs) I would trip over things and say things wrong and cough and all that. It would be like a hundred different retakes. So, But I do know podcasters do spend weeks doing one episode because like you said, they will take and retake and and they'll add add it sound effects and all kinds of nuts and stuff, but that's just how they do it, you know. Well, we're excited that you have both of these books out now. And so listeners, definitely check out Anna Maria's books on Amazon. We're going to definitely leave the titles in the notes for today. Any last words of advice that you'd like to give to our listeners about the adoption process? Just that focus on the family, that if you have a vision for your family, go for it and and don't lose faith. The journey can be difficult, but... um, love a, a lot of times can conquer all, but it takes a, a big dose of patience and resilience for sure. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Anna Maria, for being on the show. And we look forward to hearing more about your inspiring tales and advice for couple for families navigating adoption. Thank you so much for having me. Hey there, K2 crew. We love having you as our loyal listeners. To keep up to date with what's happening behind the scenes, check us out on social media. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to follow our Facebook page. Yeah, tag us in your favorite fun stories. And guess what? You might just end up on the show. I really loved this interview with Anna Maria. And I've really been reflecting on her words about the importance of understanding where one another come from in our backgrounds to help build a healthy family. Right. And I also think about how the struggles it may be feel like to want to adopt a child from even from America here, how the the process is quite difficult. I didn't even think about this when you have to adopt somebody from another country. Like I always think it'd be harder to go like that direction because of the international barriers and Mm -hmm. stuff versus like, 
you know, adopting somebody from, you know, the same city or something. But I always think it's kind of difficult. I guess what I'm thinking is that, like, it's probably easier on the child if you adopt them younger versus, say, you adopt a 15-year-old because, you know, they understand I think it just more. depends on the background and what the child has been through. I think that that is a common misconception, and that's why there are so many older children and teenagers that are in the foster care system that are able to be adopted is because people say they would rather have a baby or a younger child because like you were saying, well, they're easier to mold into the family. But then that leaves out a whole group of children that really are yearning for a family to really love them and to be part of. And I think that's important to remember is that regardless of the age of a child, at their core, every child wants to be loved and to feel like they belong. And so I think it's really important for us to be aware of that, that we're not playing into stereotypes. Because I've heard that before, like, oh, I only want to adopt a baby. And I've had friends that have adopted. Actually, I have a friend back from Fresno that she and her husband, they just adopted a sibling set of five little girls. What? You allowed to do that? Yeah, because they wanted them to all stay together and they didn't want them to be in foster care. And, you know, they were thinking that maybe that they would adopt one child. But when they found that one child that they loved and they found out that they had four other siblings in foster care, their goal was to keep the family together, keep all of the girls together. And so they went from being a couple of two and they're older, like um, they're my age and your age. So they're well established. The kids are? No, the couple is well established in their career. And so... I mean, I've been seeing on social media them making these absolutely beautiful memories with these little girls that, you know, they get to stay together and they're respecting what their background is and giving them new experiences. But I think that one of the things that Anna Maria was hitting on is that there's some similarities, some similar themes when we're blending a family, when two parents come together after having gone through divorce or or whatever the situation is when you're bringing sets of children together, that it's really important to like try and give grace and to learn about each other's background. And I think that that's one of the things that I've been really trying to bring in as we've been blending our family is to understand for you because you're such a person that's really set in your ways. What are you is- talking about? <laughs> it's because I'm old, baby, you know, get off my know, lawn. Old, stubborn. I don't know. But to really understand the beautiful life that Ezekiel and I have had prior to being part of this family and the fun and quirky things that we like to do that maybe don't jive all the way with your style of living and even like parenting and things like that. There's just a lot of different complexities. And I think that the number one thing to remember is to always assume the positive intent and to give each other a lot of grace to learn and grow. Yes, a lot of grace indeed. You know, my name is Grace because I give so much. Of it. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm saying from my part that I need to give you lots of grace well, because it, you're the most stubborn person I've ever what met on the face of the planet. What are you talking about? You know, as you're <sighs> saying that, all the fun stuff that uh, I did with Jacob and Mason was they're younger. I was kind of thinking like, I don't know if they're really into those things anymore as much as they were when they were younger. I should take them every Saturday oh, and take gosh. them down to the bay and we go to the, I call it the pirate ships. Uh-huh. It was the San Diego Maritime Museum. I had a yearly subscription pass because I'm a member of the Maritime Museum. Oi, Captain. So I. <laughs> that was uh, like one long <laughs> sentence. I know. I know. But the other day we were driving past it and you were like, we need to take, take the kids back to the pirate ships now. I'm like, 
honey, they're big and they like to run around and get into stuff now differently from when they would like be smaller well, and explore. I always explore. would think as they get older, they'd be more into like history and more into that kind of stuff. But that's like, because you're an old man. The kids guess, like, they I like guess. to run, they like to jump, they like to play with Nerf guns, they like boxing, Basketball. they like jujitsu, they like high intensity, high velocity types of things. And I think Not that- Not walking around an old pirate ship oh looking at stuff. So I think what this whole episode has reminded me of is to be aware of what our kiddos are going through and to try and learn what it is that they're interested in and what their background is, especially for blending families. So that we can discover more about them and build a new healthy future for the family. Don't Fantastic, you think? Fantastic, baby. That was well said. Well, thank you so much. And so anything else you want to leave our listeners with, Chris? Well, if you'd like to leave us a little voice feedback, you can go to our website, www.chrisandchristineshow.com. And on the top of the website, you'll see a little voicemail page. Click on that. Send us a voicemail feedback, and we may play that on the podcast in a future episode if you want. If you don't want to, you'll just say that. (laughs) And we really appreciate you listening. Definitely check out Apple. Check us out on Apple and leave us a review. We'd love to get your honest feedback. We love five-star reviews, but honesty is the best policy. And so we would love to hear from you there. Definitely listen, subscribe to this episode and to this whole Chris and Christine show. Share it with your friends. And we just appreciate you so much. We sure do. Please share. Share the love. Like we share our love, you share your love. (laughs) And thanks so much for sticking around with us. And we'll be back with you next next week. week.